the biggest risk you face as you learn how to custody your own Bitcoin is not outside attack. It's not hackers. It's your own dumb mistakes. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. All views and language expressed by the hosts and guests in this podcast are solely their personal opinions and do not reflect their employers or organizations they are associated with. Do not treat any of the content in this podcast as investment advice or as an inducement to follow a particular strategy. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. All right, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Today, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be just me, Josh, solo. Dan is off on another adventure. We'll see him back soon, but in the meantime, it's just you and me, and we're talking Bitcoin. Today, we're going to talk specifically about how to buy, store, and sell Bitcoin. In this episode, I'm going to go over some of the basics, again, on how to buy, store, and sell Bitcoin. And what I want to go over is some of the best places to buy it, some of the, with some of the lowest fees, what a hardware wallet is and how it functions, and if you really want to, and if you have to, sadly, how to sell some of your Bitcoin. Buying Bitcoin has become much easier in the last few years. There are many legitimate U.S.-based exchanges that exist, and they're worthy of your trust. Uh, these aren't all of them. These are just some that I have experience with, so I'm just going to go over some of the things. and. That is everything I'm talking about in this episode. I'm not going to talk about anything that I haven't tried myself and done myself. So this is blue-collar Bitcoin tested, blue-collar Bitcoin approved. All right, so let's start out talking about where to buy Bitcoin. In my humble opinion, the best place to buy is a place called Swan Bitcoin. They're uh, focused on dollar-cost averaging, which I think we've stated over and over throughout this podcast is probably the best way you can possibly buy Bitcoin. You're taking very little risk and you're going to average your way into this thing over a long period of time. So Swan Bitcoin is the best place for that because they make it extremely simple. You fill out a short questionnaire. It asks you how often you want to buy, how much money you want to buy with each buy. And that's it. it. You link your bank account to it and they'll continue to buy however much you've decided to buy on a daily weekly or monthly basis, and they make it extremely simple. They also have a cool feature where once you've aggregated the amount of money you've decided is the amount when you want to withdraw, you can set it up so that it'll automatically withdraw out to your hardware wallet. So now you literally don't have to do a single thing, but let the money roll into your hardware wallet. Swan is owned and operated by people who truly understand the ethos of Bitcoin. They don't sell any other coins. They don't even let you sell Bitcoin on Swan because they don't think you should sell it, just like us. They expect you to dollar cost average into this thing and never sell it. Uh, the next one on the list here, everybody's heard of this one, and it's Coinbase. Coinbase is uh, useful because they have massive amounts of liquidity available. You can buy and you can sell 24 7. Um, you're never going to be at, a, there's never going to be a time when you're not going to be able to sell or buy some Bitcoin on uh, Coinbase. You can also dollar cost average on Coinbase. 
Um, what one of my recommendations for them though is don't use their retail app. They charge much higher fees there. Use pro.coinbase.com. It's the same login that you use for Coinbase, and the fees are much much lower, and you have more control over how you buy and sell as well. You can put in limit orders, you can put in market orders. And if you don't know the difference between those two, a market order just means buy right now at whatever price is current. A limit order means that you can choose the price you want to buy at. And if the market reaches that price, it'll automatically buy for you. So, oh, one other thing I want to say about Coinbase, there's some scammer sites that have very similar uh, website addresses. So if you're not careful, you could accidentally bump into one of those and you could give them some information you don't want them to have. I know for sure if you go to Coinbase, coinbasepro.com, that is a scammer site. The actual site is pro.coinbase.com. Very important. Don't get scammed. Cash App is the next one. Um, they make it really simple. This is Square. Uh, it's, a, it's a Jack Dorsey company, the guy who runs Twitter. He's a huge Bitcoin proponent. They only sell Bitcoin as far as cryptocurrencies. They also let you buy stocks on their application, but... As far as crypto is concerned, Bitcoin is the only one they sell. You can dollar cost average on there. I think they're a very trustworthy source. I've bought Bitcoin on there. One of my favorite things about uh, Cash App is that the moment you buy, you have access to your Bitcoin at that moment. You can withdraw it to your hardware wallet and it's yours immediately. Most of these other places, Swan and Coinbase specifically, you have to wait sometimes a week or two before your money clears and you can withdraw your Bitcoin. So if you want your Bitcoin and you want it right now, Cash App. Cash App is where you want to go. The motherfucking Cash App. The last one here, I'm going to be honest, I've never used. I had to bring it up because the Winklevoss twins created it and I've heard a lot about it. I would trust them. I would go there and use it. So again, created by the Winklevi, it's Gemini, cryptocurrency exchange. And as a bonus, if you hate Mark Zuckerberg, they hate him too. So go give them some of your money, buy some Bitcoin on Gemini. I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that I hate Robinhood. And I've got a lot of reasons to hate them, but here's a couple of the primary ones. If you're buying Bitcoin on Robinhood, you don't actually own any Bitcoin. And the reason I say that is because you can't withdraw it. Each of the other places I mentioned, Cash App, Coinbase, Gemini, Swan, each one of those allows you to withdraw and custody your own Bitcoin. When you buy on Robinhood, you cannot withdraw your Bitcoin. So there's some benefits to being able to withdraw your, your Bitcoin and hold it yourself that you're, you're going to miss out on if you're using Robinhood. You're missing out on sovereignty over your own money and you're missing out on some immutability, the ability for other people to tell you how you can and how you can't use your money. And it also eliminates any possibility of earning interest on your Bitcoin. And then keep in mind, Robinhood's business model is built on selling your data and your trades to other companies. Remember, and this is true in all things, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. So since I mentioned making interest on your Bitcoin, I think this might be something that a lot of people are interested in knowing about, just the idea that you can let in exchange, hold your Bitcoin like a bank account, and then they'll pay you an interest amount based on uh, the amount of Bitcoin you have. In BlockFi's case, you can put up to one Bitcoin on BlockFi, let them custody it for you, and they will pay you 6% interest per annum in Bitcoin. So 
that's, I mean, a 6% interest rate in today's day and age is pretty obscene. It's a pretty great rate of interest. Of course, you're taking some risk by letting them custody it. If that business go, if they go out of business, if anything goes sideways for them, there's the real possibility that you may never get your money back. Having used their service, having watched them survive a couple of pretty cataclysmic uh, drops in the market, you know, of in just recently over 50%, and then March of last year during the whole COVID situation, we saw a similar drawdown, and they survived both of them. I am pretty confident they're going to be okay. But again, only put the amount of money on BlockFi that you're comfortable with. Um, I'd say a small percentage of your portfolio, maybe 10% at the most. And that is bringing me to something else I want to talk about, specifically with these exchanges, is I don't recommend you ever keep a significant amount of money on an exchange for a long period of time. Uh, Throughout the short history of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, uh, there have been hacks of exchanges. So here's, here's a couple of uh, situations you could find yourself in if you're leaving significant amount of money on an exchange for a prolonged period of time. They can get hacked. And it's very important to understand that when I say an exchange gets hacked, you don't misinterpret that as to saying Bitcoin's getting hacked. That is, those are two entirely different things. What an exchange holds you the private keys to your Bitcoin, which are the passwords that allow you to spend your Bitcoin. That's what they're holding when they hold your Bitcoin. If they're careless with the manner that they hold those passwords and a hacker infiltrates their system and is able to get to wherever they store that information, those Bitcoins that that exchange is holding can disappear. The hackers can steal them all. So this is kind of similar to the idea of... um, leaving the vault keys on the counter at the bank. If somebody breaks into the bank and the vault keys are sitting there, they simply put the key in the lock and they open the vault. That doesn't mean that the vault itself has been compromised. It just means that the security around the vault is piss poor. Somebody didn't put the keys in a good location, didn't hide them well. That's kind of how this kind of hack works. It's not a hack of Bitcoin. It's a hack of the security by the people who are protecting your Bitcoin. Uh, some of these exchanges may not be insured. I think most, of, I think all of them that I listed are insured, and I don't. I also don't think any of them are likely to be hacked. These are just some of the uh, out kind of edge cases that have happened in the past. I think are uh, diminishingly likely these days, especially on the larger brand names. But you still never know. They could simply go out of business. Um, if they go out of business, it's going to be a long process to get your money back. You're going to be waiting years. Um, like I was talking about, some of these less legitimate exchanges, uh, actually one just did this in Africa like a week or two ago, they simply walked away and stole everyone's money. That's always a possibility. They can be vulnerable to rogue employees who would be incentivized to steal the money if they thought that they could get it and get out of the country or get, just be gone before anyone noticed. And finally, probably the least likely possibility, especially in our country, would be that the Bitcoin could be seized by a government if it's on an exchange. Uh, Because obviously the exchanges are beholden to the government and going to follow the rules. So if they make Bitcoin illegal overnight, your Bitcoin's never leaving that exchange. So if hodling your Bitcoin on an exchange is a bad idea, what is a good idea? I would say a good idea is holding your Bitcoin on a hardware wallet, what is known in the circle of Bitcoin as cold storage. 
true Bitcoin custody. This is taking your Bitcoin into your own hands and keeping all of the private keys yourself and also taking on all of the responsibility that comes with. Meaning that if you lose your private keys, you've lost all your money. A lot of people may not be comfortable with that kind of a proposition. You might not think you're responsible enough to do that. I'm here to tell you, though, that it's actually quite simple. And as long as you, as long as you educate yourself and you buy things that are within your own knowledge base and skill level, I don't think it's going to be a problem at all. But I would recommend, as I'll say multiple times throughout this, buy, some of these, buy a hardware wallet and play around with it. Don't move any meaningful amount of money on it initially. Just understand how it works and play with the technology and just be comfortable. That's the bottom line. You got to be comfortable before you start playing with any real money. So what is a hardware wallet? It's a device similar to a USB memory stick uh, with special hardware and a small amount of memory. They typically have a small screen and a few buttons uh, for you to interact and perform a few actions on. The purpose of these things is simply to hold the private keys on the device disconnected from the internet. And that's the most important part. The private key is the password to your Bitcoin wallet. You want to keep that safe because if anyone discovers it um, and they have ill intentions for you, they can steal all of your money. So the hardware wallet keeps your Bitcoin password safe from remote attacks uh, who could access the device any device connected to the internet. And because this thing's never connected to the internet, those remote attackers could never access it. It severs the connection and makes it impossible for them to take your Bitcoin. So if hardware wallets are cold storage, an example of hot storage would be leaving your private keys on your laptop connected to the internet. If your laptop has any malware in it, um, or because you've been to a malicious website, a uh, hacker could access all the files in that laptop, and if they're able to access the file that has your private keys, now they, are, now they have the ability to steal all of your Bitcoin. There's three brands of hardware wallets I want to discuss, um, because I have personally used and own each one of these, and I have varying opinions on each one, and I think each one of them kind of strikes at a different skill level. And as you have some experience in the space and you get comfortable with some of the more beginner level hardware wallets and you want to learn more and understand more about how this all works, you can kind of advance through the ranks of some of the more complex ones. And I'll go through some of the advantages and disadvantages of why some of the more basic ones are totally fine overall, but you can squeeze out a little bit more security if you have the urge to learn a little bit more and dive a little bit deeper into this. So the first brand I'm going to talk about is Trezor. Trezor is a hardware wallet, actually the original hardware wallet developed for Bitcoin. I am, the first one came out in 2013, and that one was the Trezor 1. It's changed very little over the last uh, nine years or so. It's an extremely robust, very, very user-friendly wallet. It's, uh, it's secure from remote attacks. It's open source, so all of the uh, code that has been developed and put on it has been done in an open source manner, just like Bitcoin, so everybody can see everything that's going on inside the software, and tons of other expert developers have taken a look and said, yeah, there's no backdoors in this, this is solid, and there's nothing to worry about here. 
So that's a huge bonus and plus for Trezor that it's open source. It, it allows us to all verify that there's nothing that's going to steal your money, no backdoors, like I said. Um, one downside for Trezor, and it's a minimal one, especially if once you understand uh, what these secure elements do, it does not have a secure element. So if you had someone steal it physically from your house and they were an expert programmer and someone who knew how to attack these devices physically, uh, there's a rare possibility that they could break into it and they could possibly steal your private keys. But again, the people in the world that have that kind of know-how are pretty rare and they'd have to know you have this thing. They'd have to break into your house and get physical access to it. And the entire point of these things is to disconnect it from the internet because the greatest attack vector for stealing your money is a hacker getting access to your computer via the internet. That is easily the most, the biggest use case for these things is simply protecting your money from being on the internet. The next one we're going to talk about is Ledger. And Ledger is also a very user-friendly device. Uh, it's very secure for remote attacks, just like the Trezor. It does have a secure element for personal attacks, for in-person attacks, like we mentioned. So theoretically, it's superior to Trezor in that way. It would be very difficult for someone, even in person, to uh, compromise one of these devices. Uh, one negative for Ledger is it's a closed source development. So nobody can audit the code. There's been no peer review of it. And nobody but the people that develop at Trezor know what it looks like. So although it's a remote possibility, it is possible that there are weaknesses or backdoors in the Ledger software that, that we couldn't know about because it's a closed source development. Nobody can see it. Uh, and then one thing that Trezor and Ledger both have in common is that you can't use your own node to verify transactions. You're depending on Trezor's node and or Ledger's node, depending on which device you're using, in order to verify your Bitcoin transactions. So you're, you're still trusting somebody, somebody at Ledger or somebody at Trezor to tell you that yes, your Bitcoin transaction is legitimate and or no, your Bitcoin transaction is not legitimate. Um, I'd also be remiss if I didn't mention that Ledger did have a problem uh, just last year. Their database got hacked. Uh, they didn't have any compromise with the security of their wallets. No Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency was stolen. But what the hackers did get away with was a database of all of their customers who ordered ledgers, which is a big problem because if you ordered a ledger from Ledger and your name would be on that list and now there's a list floating around the internet that hackers could have access to that tells them your name, your address, and a bunch of personal information that you would rather not have out there. So obviously a pretty serious security gaffe on their part there. And I did lose some confidence in them after seeing that kind of a uh, security leak from a company that is literally <laughs> built to be secure. So that is a little bit uh, nail biting to think that, you know, they could get hacked, at least their customer database could, and you're supposed to be trusting them with your um, maybe five to $10,000 you might have sitting on their hardware wallet. So a consideration. Again, it didn't compromise anything about the security model of their hardware devices, but, you know, it sure doesn't look good. The next hardware device we're talking about here, so we talked about Trezor, very user-friendly, uh, very good all around, except that it doesn't have one of these quote-unquote secure elements, which does leave it a slight weakness for an in-person attack. Ledger, very user-friendly, 
possible security issues because, I mean, their whole database was hacked and it's a closed source uh, project. Nobody knows what's inside there. The next one is not one I would recommend for beginners. I wanted to talk about it a little bit because I think it's a really cool device. And once you have some familiarity with either your ledger or treasure that you start with, you might want to start thinking about getting a cold card um, because they're just really freaking cool. Um, the, I'm going to go through a bunch of reasons why, but one of the coolest things about it is it's very James Bond. You can actually put a pin number in this thing if you're worried about someone taking it or there's someone breaking in your house and you want to smoke the device. You can put a pin, you can set a pin number on this thing where it will automatically brick the device and uh, make it inert and inoperable for anyone to use by just putting in a pin number. So cold card is not a user-friendly device. It is, I would say, intermediate to advanced user. You have to really start playing with the uh, the guts in the system, I'd say, to, to really start being confident with one of these. It's not out of the realm of possibility for mortals. I mean, I've got one of these things and I've played around with it a lot. I'm, I'd say I'm 99% confident that I completely understand it, but once in a while it'll still surprise me with something new. So these, this thing, what's cool about it, I mentioned that Trezor and Ledger both require an intermediary because you have to ask Trezor's servers or you have to ask Ledger's servers, is this a legitimate transaction? And they're going to tell you yes or no. Uh, while you're using the device, you don't even know that, but it's an important thing because the entire ethos of Bitcoin is trust or verify, right? Don't trust. So with cold card, you don't trust anybody. So with cold card, you need to run your own node. You need to buy a, a Raspberry Pi, download and go to Get Umbrel, order all the parts that they uh, recommend, set up your node, which is actually very easy to do right now. And once you have your node running, you download some software for your computer called Spectre Wallet. And once you have your node running connected to your Spectre Wallet, you set up your cold card and then you connect that to your computer to Spectre, to your node. So there's three different things working in tandem here. I think you can kind of see why I'm saying this is a bit more advanced. This is easily the most secure setup for all of this because you not only are you trusting absolutely nobody, but your own node, which you can verify is running the Bitcoin blockchain that is verifying with the other 83,000 nodes around the world in sync. Your ledger is talking directly to that. It is not talking to anyone else. You, don't, you can cut everything else out of the circle. It's just you, your cold card, and your node verifying everything from top to bottom. Another cool thing about it is it allows an air, what's called air-gapped operation, which means you never plug this thing into your computer. With the Trezor and the Ledger, you have to plug into the computer in order for it to operate, get power, and start operating and running. This does introduce a slight chance of an attack just because it is connected to a computer which is connected to the internet. With the cold card, the transaction happens on the cold card. You upload it to a, a uh, micro SD on the cold card, then you take out that USB, you plug into your computer, you upload the transaction to your computer into that software to the node, the node broadcasts it to the network, and through that entire operation, that cold card with your private keys never touched the computer, and none of that information went on the internet except for a signed and broadcasted transmission that says I spent X amount of money on Bitcoin and poof, there it goes. 
So you never have to worry whatsoever about any kind of attack from the internet at all if you're operating on a cold card. It's pretty cool. Um, as I mentioned before I even dove into the cold card, you can actually set up a few different types of pins on the cold card for maximum security. So you can set up a brick pin where when you put that pin in, it smokes the entire device. Just like a James Bond uh, note and in the old movies, the whole thing just smokes and it's totaled. And you better have your backup keys because all of your Bitcoin is gone if you don't have them. And you can also set up a decoy pin. Um, so you can have three different pins set up to do different actions on this thing. You can set up a, a key that smokes the device. You can set up uh, your actual pin, which accesses all of your money. And then you can have a decoy pin that will open up a secondary wallet, which you can put a small amount of Bitcoin so that if somebody had a gun to your head and said, put the pin number in this thing or I'm going to blow your head off, you can put the uh, decoy pin in and they're going to be satisfied thinking like this thing's unlocked and this is all the money they have on it. I'm good to go. I'm piecing out of here. And the whole time it's going to protect all the other money that's on that cold card. And so they say they leave with the device thinking they got all the money. Even if they try to tamper with it later, if they put in the pin, the wrong pin too many times, it'll brick the device and it's dead. While meantime, you've saved your, um, your seed keys and then you can just buy a new cold card. You can put those seed keys into the new one and you have all your money instantly back in your pocket. Nothing to worry about. The last thing that I really like about the cold card um, is that it's, it's made in Canada. So it's made in North America. So one of the things some people worry about with these hardware devices is supply chain attacks. And one of the best ways to ensure that you're not too worried about a supply chain issue is this thing never was in China. It was in North America the whole time. You buy directly from CoinKite, which is the manufacturer of cold card, and you get it sent directly to your house. You completely disintermediate as many people as possible. You just get it directly from cold card, never went to China, and um, you've got yourself a shiny, brand new, pristine, bulletproof, ultra secure wallet. And obviously, after hearing all of that, I think we all know the most Bitcoin way to store your Bitcoin is on a cold card. All right, so here's the blue collar Bitcoin recommendation for noobs. So I just threw a whole lot of information at you about cold card this and blah, 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 that. Forget all about the cold card. If you're new to this space, the cold card is the last thing you want to buy. I just am a super nerd and I love to talk about it. So I had to go on and on about all the dweeby things that thing can do. Great. Well, if you're brand new to this, don't buy a fucking cold card. That thing is going to confuse you. It's going to, you're going to hate the whole experience if, if you're brand new and you try to operate one of those things. My recommendation, and I'm going to say the official blue collar Bitcoin recommendation here, just buy a Trezor because the biggest risk you face as you learn how to custody your own Bitcoin is not outside attack. It's not hackers. It's your own dumb mistakes. I, I don't know if this number is even close to accurate, but I'm going to claim it is. 95% of Bitcoin is lost. It's not stolen. People over-secure this stuff to the point where they can't even remember how to unsecure it to actually use it and spend it. And if you do something like that, if you make a mistake and you forget a password or you forget a PIN number and you don't have your seed keys to recover, you just lost everything. There is nobody to call. There's no hotline. There's no reset my password 
text message to call, or I'm sorry, text message to receive to reset this thing, you're done. It, it's gone. There's no way to retrieve it. It's it's just a donation to the rest of the network, and we all thank you because our Bitcoin just got a little bit more valuable because you just wasted some. So please, please pay attention. Train yourself with this stuff. It's very simple, especially with Trezor. You can you can make this ultra, ultra simple as long as you follow some very simple rules that I'll outline here. Um, Trezor just makes this very easy, and they hold your hand throughout the whole process and mitigate a lot of the risk that you would otherwise take um, if, if you try to get yourself into something more complex like the cold card. So buy yourself a Trezor. Uh, go on their website. Their website's trezor.io. Make sure you go to the right website. Don't buy your Trezor from Amazon. Don't buy it from any other third party. Buy it directly from Trezor on their website. You're going to have to pay in euros, but your credit card will transfer that automatically. That's normal. That's not a scam. They're a uh, European company in the Czech Republic. So yeah, they, they take euros. And actually, you can pay in Bitcoin too if you want. So there's the option. So again, Trezor is very secure. Trezor is very simple. Trezor is open source. Uh, I, I have both the Model T and the Trezor 1. Uh, I would recommend the Model T. It's got a touchscreen. It's a little more user-friendly. The, the Trezor 1 is a lot cheaper. So if your budget doesn't allow, don't think that the Trezor 1 is any less secure. It's just as secure. It just doesn't have all the bells and whistles, and that's okay. It doesn't really matter. But if you can afford it, buy the Model T. There's a couple of features it has which are pretty cool. Again, buy directly from Trezor. Don't buy from a third party. The fewer people in the chain from manufacturing to your doorstep, the better. When you get it, verify that the package has not been tampered with. Install software only from Trezor.io. Don't install any software on that thing from any other website. Double and triple check that you're at the, the correct website. I wrote that like three different times to remind myself to remind you to do that. When you take possession of your Bitcoin, pay attention, treat it seriously. Um, again, it's a lot more likely that you're going to lose your money than someone's going to steal it from you. So when you get this Trezor and you start creating your wallet, follow the prompts, write down the seed keys, and keep that on a separate piece of paper. Don't ever enter those seed keys onto a computer, a phone, anything digital whatsoever. Don't even let your, don't take a picture of it with your phone. If those seed keys, you have to remember, are literally your Bitcoin. If somebody else gets a hold of those seed keys, they can steal your money. So do not allow those seed keys to fall in anyone else's hands. Don't put them on your phone. Don't put them on your computer. Don't take a picture of them. Write them, write them down. Actually, if you have a significant amount of money, say more than $1,000 on your Trezor, I would recommend buying a steel plate and buying a punch set and this might sound crazy, but punch those, the seed key phrases into a piece of metal and put them in your safe or put them somewhere very safe because that way if your house burns to the ground or floods, that piece of paper could easily be destroyed. That piece of metal won't be destroyed and you'll be able to uh, reconstitute your wallet without needing your treasure whatsoever. So basically, those seed keys are your Bitcoin backup for if your wallet fails. If your treasure fails you have some way to recover your money. If you don't write those things down, those, those seed words, and your treasure fails for some reason, you're out of luck. 
there's no way to recover it. So just very important. I can't emphasize this enough. Make sure you save that seed key, put it in a safe place on a piece of metal. Um, there's a couple of products on Amazon. Um, they're basically pieces of metal with different kinds of interchangeable letters on it. They're designed for backing up Bitcoin wallets. You can get them for as cheap as 20 bucks, or you can spend 100 if you want. Those are also some really good products. Most of them are made out of stainless steel, so they're not going to corrode. They'll last forever. Probably one of the best ways to back up your seed keys. And again, I'm going to reiterate, don't overcomplicate the security around your Bitcoin because I've, I really do think that you're more likely to lose your money by mistake than you are to have it stolen. So make security secure, but don't go crazy and make it so secure that you block yourself out of it. So that was my quick down and dirty Bitcoin for noobs approved Trezor, uh, Trezor 1 or Trezor Model T and the steps you should follow to secure everything and make sure it's all good. The setup I just mentioned is very good, but there's a few issues that the Trezor can't handle. All right, so now we talked a little bit about the basic setup, the Trezor, the, the, the 1.0 setup. I mean, your feeble beginnings to the ultra-secure Bitcoin future that you're going to have. Now let's talk about the ultimate dweeb nerd bitcoin setup that we all we all wish to someday achieve which is it's a multi-sig wallet so it's a very simple concept actually you have one hardware device when you go through that simple treasure setup that we talked about what a multi-sig address is is you buy three hardware wallets and what you can do is you can set up a system where it takes two out of those three wallets in order to spend your money. So the advantage of that is, is that if you have a setup where you have one wallet, it's a one point of failure type system, right? So if your ledger or your treasure is in your basement safe, somebody breaks in your house and they steal it. Now you better hope to God you have your backup keys because if you don't, your money's, your money's gone because the guy's got the hardware device. So what you can do to kind of spread around the risk is you can do a two of three or three of five multi-sig setup. So that would be buying three of those hardware wallets or five of those hardware wallets and you set it up in a quorum system where two out of three would spend the money or three out of five. And then you could take one of these hardware wallets and you could put it, you could leave it at work. You could take one of them and you could leave it at your house and you could take one of them and you could leave it at your parents' house. And then it takes two out of those three to spend your money. So if somebody breaks in your house and they steal your one wallet, no problem. Number one, they can't spend the money if they don't have at least two of them and know all the PIN numbers, which they don't know. Um, and, the, and the second bonus is that you still have access to the other two. You go get the one from work. You go get the one from your parents' house and you send the Bitcoin to a new wallet that you created that's brand new, that has a new multi-sig setup, and you're good to go. No worries at all. Um, and again, if you only had a single device, you've got some shit to worry about because somebody is working on stealing your money and if you don't have the seed keys, you don't have any way to get it. So you're fucked. So the multi-sig is a way that you can mitigate risk by spreading it around geographically. It's a, it's a pretty cool thing to do. I've played around with this a little bit with, uh, with some cold cards and a Spectre setup, and it's pretty complicated to set up on your own. I actually didn't even trust it enough after playing around with it to put any real money on it. So at this time, I'm multi, I don't use a multi-sig setup, although I'll eventually do that. 
the better way to approach multi-sig. There's a couple of companies in the space that have made multi-sig really simple for everyday boneheads like all of us. And that the first company is Casa. Casa is a company that will assist you in creating a multi-sig wallet and they'll walk you through it step by step. Um, they'll even provide the hardware wallets for you. So you can you can go to their website, you can order their three of five or two of three multi-sig setup for obviously, I don't even know what the fee is off the top of my head, but it's pretty significant because you're buying five or three hardware wallets plus their whole setup. So you're going to probably be paying between three, 300 to to $1,000, but they literally will walk you through it, hold your hand and make it all work. And they'll even hold on to one of the private keys for you. So example, you buy a two of three multi-sig setup from Casa. They send you two uh, treasures. Each one of those treasures is set up uh, with the multi-sig. You control those two treasures. They hold on to the third key that is the third access key for that multi-sig setup of three. If you lose one of your treasures, they still hold a hardware or they still hold a key for you, so they can help you unlock your Bitcoin and and figure it all out and get it done. So they're a helping hand in all of this. They make it a lot more user friendly a lot less stressful if you're not 100% sure you know what you're doing, which let's be honest, most of us in this space with multi-sig setups um, don't really know what we're doing. So we need some help and they're there to help and they do a great job from what I've heard. I have not personally used them, but I've been thinking a lot about it lately. So if you want to try multi-sig, my recommendation would be go to them. You can buy your own hardware devices and I think it's only a $10 a month fee to just use their software to make it all work. But uh, if you're down for multi-sig, give Casa a peek. The other company that does the same exact service, I just want to mention them as well because I think they're a great company as well. They're called Unchained Capital. And what I just described that Casa does with the multi-sig setup, Unchained does exactly the same thing. So hit them up if you're interested, maybe compare their prices, pick whichever one is cheaper because I'm pretty confident that both of these companies are totally competent in the space and they all do you well. So now that we've talked about hardware wallets, how they work, which ones we recommend, um, let's talk about the elephant in the room here. Anyone, anyone going to sell Bitcoin? <laughs> are you kidding me? If you must, and uh, this is not a blue collar Bitcoin recommendation, we don't recommend selling any Bitcoin ever. But if you have to, here's how you do it. You can sell any or all of your Bitcoin at any of the exchanges I mentioned above, Coinbase, Gemini, Cash App, any of those you can sell through. The only one of them you can't, hilariously, is Swan. They will not allow you to sell your Bitcoin because they're smarter than all of us and they know which direction the transaction should be happening. And that's dollars to them, Bitcoin to you. Coinbase is a great place to sell because they have a massive amount of liquidity on offer. And if you're trying to sell, that's a great thing because let's be real, none of us have enough money to move this price in any way, shape or form. But you're going to get the you're going to get the going rate, um, especially if you just send it off into the Coinbase and let it do its thing. You're going to get paid in dollars and you'll live and learn and remember to never sell Bitcoin again. So I think the only thing I really didn't cover here, we, we talked about kind of the over, overriding themes of like, where are you buying Bitcoin? How are you storing Bitcoin? What hardware wallets to use? Which ones to not use? 
um, or at least how to think about the proposition of which one's too complicated for me, which one is more user friendly, which one's got, you know, which security hole and vice versa and all that. The only thing I really didn't cover because it's just not really possible in this medium is how to actually send Bitcoin back and forth. I'll give you a quick description of how that works, but it's really one of those things you just have to do. You're going to listen to this and be like, that it sounds reasonable, but until you actually see it happen, um, you're not going to really know what to do. I'd recommend going on YouTube and watching videos for your specific hardware wallet. You bought a Trezor, go on YouTube, look up how to send or receive Bitcoin from your Trezor, and it'll be really obvious really quickly how simple it is. But basically... You bought Bitcoin, let's say, on Coinbase. Coinbase clears your Bitcoin. It's sitting in your account. You have, let's say, 0.1 Bitcoin sitting on Coinbase, ready to go to your hardware wallet. So you're going to go, you're going to find where it says send Bitcoin, and then it's going to ask you for an address. So what you're going to do, you're going to go into the Trezor app. You're going to connect your Trezor. You're going to get everything going. You're going to put your PIN number into your Trezor, and then you're going to go up to the top where it says receive Bitcoin. And when you hit receive Bitcoin, it's going to produce an address for you. You're going to copy and paste that address. You're going to, I'm sorry, you're going to copy that address and then you're going to paste it onto Coinbase. And so you paste it where it says send, right? You set, you copy the receive address from your wallet, your hardware wallet to the send address on Coinbase. And then you're going to meticulously go through and verify that the address that and, and oh one thing i missed there never trust your computer screen to tell you the right um, address for your bitcoin always look at the hardware wallet screen that is the truth your computer screen can lie to you your treasure cannot lie to you that is the absolute truth so you always trust what's on the little screen on your treasure you never trust the screen on your computer because if you have malware or anything like that they can manipulate those things or they can change copy and paste functions to make it paste a different address than you intended to. Bottom line is, make sure that the address that you copied into Coinbase to send your Bitcoin to matches the address that is on your Trezor. As long as that's true, you can feel completely safe by hitting that send button. And I would also recommend for your first couple of times, send a small amount because it's less stressful. You'll see everything works. You'll watch it show up in your Trezor. After you gain some um, some confidence that this works properly, then you can send the entire amount, and you're good. And keep in mind that sometimes Bitcoin transactions can take 10 to 15 minutes to show up, and they won't clear for sometimes as long as an hour. So don't worry. I've had plenty of times when I sat there biting my nails thinking, holy shit, this thing didn't go through. My money's gone. It's never failed. It's not going to fail. It's going to be okay. Just be patient and you're going to be fine. So I know this can be a whole lot of dry material to digest, um, especially at first. There's a whole lot of terms, a whole lot of things, a whole lot of just unknown unknowns for you as you kind of make your first foray into the hardware wallet space. But trust me, this all does make a lot of sense, especially once you've operated in it a little bit, you've made a few transactions and you, you get a little comfortable with it. You start to see how easy it is. It really is pretty easy. And you can start aggregating some Bitcoin on your hardware wallet. You can feel confident that when I disconnect this thing, put it in my safe, come back later, plug it into my computer and put in my PIN number, that all of my money is going to be there. 
And my money's always been there and your money's going to be there. It's going to work just fine. So just remember to take it one step at a time. Don't go crazy with security. Just do the basics. The basics will keep it very secure. And just remember, if you forget your Trezor pin number, you always have your seed keys to recover. Remember to save those seed keys. Those are all of your money. I can't impress that enough on everyone. And if you lose your pin and your seed keys, you just lost all of your Bitcoin. It's gone forever. There's no one who can help you in that situation to recover. So protect your seed keys as if they are worth however much the Bitcoin you're storing is worth. Because it is. I really hope that this talk helped everyone who uh, hasn't played around with a hardware wallet or is skeptical about how it works. I hope it helps ease some of the tension in your mind about if you have the chops to actually make it happen. Trust me, you do. They've made this thing so simple, especially with Ledger and Trezor, that you really have to try and go out of your way to fuck it up. So buy yourself a Trezor, get that thing on order, and uh, get that dollar cost averaging on uh, Swan kickstarted. Because by the time that Trezor gets here in a week or two, you better have at least 500 bucks in Bitcoin to send to it. Peace out, everyone. I hope you enjoyed. Hey, thanks for listening into the show. If you enjoyed this discussion, be sure to subscribe on whatever app you're using for podcasts. And if you have an extra minute, go ahead and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at blue underscore collar BTC. We invite questions, comments, and inquiries of any kind, and our email is bluecollarbitcoinpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to you joining us next time on the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast.